0: So we just can't sit back and wait and hope that this EV gets developed in the next two to three years or however long it's going to take. We need to take action now because as we all know, climate change is real. And so we need to take action now. And I believe we do have methods of doing that. We need to take advantage of those.
1: Good day, everyone. And welcome to Cutting Carbon. I'm your host, Jeff Goldmere, and I'm joined by my co-host, Brian Gutnick. Brian, good day. Good day, Jeff, great to be here. So Brian, this season we are continuing our conversations around decarbonization closer to home. And although we've talked about a variety of topics in this season, a lot about transportation, today's gonna be a little different. I'm really excited. Today we're joined by Craig Harper, Craig is the Chief Sustainability Officer and Executive Vice President at J.B. Hunt Transport Services. So for those in the states, you may have passed a J.B. Hunt truck while on a long distance drive somewhere. And as we think about decarbonizing our society, we also need to think not just about decarbonizing our own personal transportation, but about the goods and services that we rely on day to day to move the commodities that we use in our everyday life. So, Craig, thank you so much for joining us on cutting carbon today. Oh, it's great to be here. I
0: appreciate you having
1: me. So, so let's start with some basics for those who may not have heard of JB Hunt. We do have a number of a significant number of our audience who live outside of the U.S. Can you tell us a little bit about JB Hunt?
0: Yeah, JB Hunt was founded in 1961 uh, by Mr. Hunt, uh, JB himself, and his wife John L., and started off as a pure trucking company and and over time has really evolved into many different offerings. We have intermodal service, dedicated truckload, full truckload, refrigerated, flatbed, LTL, final mile services, and single source solutions. So it's really evolved with time. When you, you look back through it, company has really embraced change and never been fearful to go through that sometimes painful, but we're uh, obviously always looking to reinvent ourselves and continue to grow and and look for the the next big thing.
1: That's great. So I know that that J.B. Hunt is thinking a lot about sustainability. So maybe you can start off by helping our audience understand your views and J.B. Hunt's views on sustainability in the transportation segment or sector. Yeah.
0: I think our mission statement really says it all, it's about creating the most efficient transportation network in North America. And when you break that down, you look at the different solutions that we can come up with for our customer because we're truly mode agnostic. So we'll look at the situation, look at the issues at hand, and then come up with a comprehensive solution for the customers. And many times it will include a variety of our services, maybe a combination of intermodal, dedicated, our brokerage operation, uh, using some of our engineering services, whatever we can do to really drive out waste and increase efficiency in solving those problems, coming up with solutions for our customers.
2: So, Craig, what are some of the ways in in which J.B. Hunt is kind of addressing sustainability and looking at this and and making reductions in your own carbon and greenhouse gas emissions footprint?
0: Yeah, we're we're very fortunate to have such a a large intermodal offering because when you look into the different modes of transportation, you see that utilizing intermodal actually reduces the carbon footprint by 60% compared to moving that same load by truckload. So we've really expanded our intermodal operation through the years. We have over 100,000 containers right now, and it's been made public that we're looking to expand that in the next three to five years by a number as high as 40,000 containers. So intermodal is a huge offering. Also, we have J.B. Hunt 360. It's our multimodal digital freight platform where, again, we can really drive out cost and increase efficiency by getting the right truck on the right load at the right time. And what's unique about that platform is it's the tools that we've developed with all the engineering and technology through the years to run our own fleet more efficiently and, and drive out waste. And we've opened that up to the public. And that's where now approximately 900,000 trucks can have access to that same technology that we've worked on and developed for years. When you look at our own assets, we've seen since 2020, we've eliminated over 6 million empty miles. So uh, you take that to the, the carriers that we have opened up our platform to, and they will be able to take advantage of that that same technology and reduce their empty mile, improve their efficiencies, and speed up the flow of their vehicles pulling freight across America.
2: So by getting better utilization of your trucks and your vehicles, you can, for the same truck moving down the road, be moving more goods and thereby reducing the emissions, let's say, per ton of product moved. Is that essentially? Absolutely.
0: Just with our own assets, we saw that we reduced like 6 million empty miles last year. But it's much more than that. It's actually going across the carriers that we deal with. And we have now approximately 900,000 trucks available on our digital freight matching platform. So when you have access to that many carriers searching through that freight, trying to find the most optimal load, they don't have to sit there for hours and hoping that they get the best load. They don't have to run unnecessary empty miles to get to the next load. They see where that next load is that's best for them. Again, the right truck on the right load at the right time.
1: So Craig, You've mentioned intermodal transportation a couple of times, and I'm not sure all of our listeners will truly understand what that means. Could you break it down for our audience?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Intermodal involves two modes of transportation, and it's uh, the truck and rail aspect. And so what we do with our large fleet of intermodal trucks that we own, and we also outsource some of those pickup moves where we pick up the load from the shipper and actually take it to the rail ramp. And once it gets to the rail ramp there's a crane there that literally picks the box off of the chassis and puts it onto the rail car and most of the the general public when they see a jv hunt what they think is a trailer going down the road it, it may be a trailer but in most cases that is actually a chassis with a box on top of it and so again we pick up that chassis with a box on it that's been loaded at one of our shippers take it to the rail ramp The rail ramp, a crane picks it up, puts it on the rail car, and oh, by the way, they can be double stacked, which increases the efficiency greatly. And then it can go cross country, where we meet it with another chassis in one of our trucks or third-party carrier, and they lift the box off of the train, off that rail car, and put it onto that chassis, and we go make the delivery. So therefore, you have what we call a dray move on each side. You have the pickup from the shipper, take it to the rail yard, gets lifted, put it on the train, goes across country at the delivery at that railroad on the far end of the country. We meet it there with the chassis, pick it up with the, the crane putting it on our chassis and go make that final delivery.
1: Craig, you had said that using intermodal dramatically reduces the carbon footprint of transportation of goods. Is that because the carbon footprint of moving large volumes of goods via rail has a lower carbon footprint than, let's say, a singular truck?
0: Yes, absolutely. You can move literally hundreds of loads at one time. So you have a much smaller carbon footprint moving tons of freight across the country than you would by having each one of those pulled by its individual tractor going cross-country.
2: So, Craig, we've talked about intermodal. We've talked about using kind of the digital technology, if you will, to make sure you get the right truck at the right place for the right load at the right time. But those are both also using, I'll say it, kind of conventional means of transportation. Are there technologies that J.B. Hunt is deploying that are lower carbon as well? I know we've had uh, an episode this season where we've talked about electric personal vehicles. Is that something that J.B. Hunt is exploring?
0: Absolutely. You know, we love looking at this new technology in the works right now, and I get too excited about it. Quite honestly, you know, I I love working on it and was in a meeting again this morning and talking about what we see coming in the next few years. We just wish it was here now. So, yes, we we love the the whole thought about the electric vehicles, whether it's battery electric or hydrogen fuel cell. And you don't know which one of those is really going to win out. So what I would encourage everybody to do is we have to continue to, to look at those technologies, continue to test that technology, stay abreast of all that technology. But one thing that I really want to all of us to remember, it's going to be a while for the larger trucks. Even though we would love for it to be here right now, uh, battery is here for the automobile side and also for package delivery vehicles. But for the larger size, you still have too much of a weight penalty, a range penalty, an initial cost of getting into the equipment, the residual is unknown, and then the infrastructure about where you're going to charge that vehicle. So while those things are continuing to be developed, and they will develop, I'm a firm believer in that. We've seen that happen before with technology, with the cell phones and also the flat screen TVs. So it it will continue to develop to a point where we can use it and where it will be commercially viable. But in the interim, we don't need to sit back and wait. And that's where, you know, we're very fortunate to have the intermodal offering where you can get a 60% reduction on your carbon footprint because what else in life can you do and instantly get a 60% reduction? So I do get a little frustrated sometimes with the slow development of what's going on in the EV space because I, I want it now But at the same time, I say, well, let's take advantage of the tools we have with Intermodal and also J.B. Hunt 360 by matching the right truck on the right load at the right time. And then also other engineering capabilities. And by that, I mean looking at a shipper's total freight network and seeing if you can design a fleet that's optimal for that operation. And again, reducing the empty miles and increase the speed of moving those goods in and out of the different facilities. So we just can't sit back and wait and hope that this EV gets developed in the next two to three years or however long it's going to take. We need to take action now because, as we all know, climate change is real. And so we need to take action now, and I believe we do have methods of doing that. We need to take advantage of those.
1: You're listening to Cutting Carbon. If you're interested in learning more about today's topic, please check out our show notes. And if you like what you hear, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's go back to the conversation. So Craig, as we think about electric vehicles in this space, And just assuming the technology were to be here today, it's not just about equipping a truck with the battery. You need the infrastructure to charge the truck. And if it's a long haul vehicle, not necessarily, let's say, a fleet vehicle, you need charging infrastructure where the truck leaves and through the truck's route, whether it's 100 miles or a couple thousand miles. How does J.B. Hunt think about that challenge in terms of the needed infrastructure? And the same would be true if it was hydrogen. You need the ability to fill up with hydrogen along those long distance routes.
0: Jeff, you bring up a great point. We've recently been working with a customer trying to place an order for some EVs, and when we look at the way that the freight needs to be hauled for that customer to satisfy their needs and where the charging is, we were actually going to have a significant amount of miles out of route from where we could charge to where we were going to pick up the load. And it's critical with these trucks when you're talking about range, a stated range of 250 miles. Now, that range is up to 250 miles, and it doesn't talk about how many pounds you're pulling and, and what the grade is that you're going up and down. So it, it gets real critical when you're, you're looking at these fleets about where the charging is. And most optimal, obviously, is to have the charging at the facility of where the tractor uh, resides, where it leaves from work every day and where it returns. And one of the customers we were working with most recently that was very interested, we found out that to get the electricity to their facility, the customers going to have to sign a long-term agreement with the power company to have the electricity brought to them. And then also uh, we looked at the lease and there was only three years left on the lease. So it's like it, it just wouldn't fit. And then you put in on top of that about running these miles out of route. so. The infrastructure is a critical piece and one that we need to tackle as an industry.
2: Great. Craig, I imagine more and more of your customers, much like our customers, are thinking more about the life cycle carbon footprint of maybe the goods they are attempting to get to their final destination. So my guess is this is becoming a bigger part of when they come to you and say, we need you to move goods, understand the footprint of that. Can you maybe talk a little bit about J.B. Hunt's clean transport carbon calculator and how the tools you're putting in place to maybe make customers more aware. Yeah, Brian,
0: you're right on point there. We get calls from our customers constantly about what can we do to help them lower their carbon footprint. And it's uh, going to take, again, all of us working together, but we'll, we'll meet with those customers and understand their freight mix. And then we'll run it through the carbon calculator to see How much carbon is being generated by how they're currently moving the freight? Are there some ways where we could put possibly a dedicated fleet there? Are there ways where we can convert some of that freight? Is the freight going through a digital freight matching platform right now and taking advantage of all the carriers that are out there? And so we'll come up with a number and a goal that we think we can accomplish by taking advantage of all the different methods. And the customers are very excited about working to reduce their carbon footprint. But I will say that it still comes down to service, cost, and capacity more than what we would like to think many times. So we can all talk that we would like to reduce that carbon footprint, but sometimes it's not the most cost-effective way to move the freight. Many times, for example, many times intermodal is cheaper than trucking the same load, because obviously you get the efficiencies of moving hundreds of loads at one time. But if you have the uh, pickup delivery further away from the, the railhead, sometimes intermodal may be more costly. And so trying to show that a customer that yes, you can reduce your carbon footprint by converting more of your freight to intermodal. And yes, many times you can save money. And thank you, Mr. and Ms. Customer. You've been taking great advantage of that for years. But, you know, also for a premium, you could convert more of the freight. And that's where people, you start saying, well, hold on a second, I don't really want to pay a premium. And so that's where it gets a little frustrating when you're saying, okay, we all want to do what we can to reduce this carbon footprint, but sometimes it's not the most cost effective manner in which to move the freight, but it does have the best impact for the environment. So we'll talk through those issues there and then look at, like I said, other solutions, whether it's in dedicated or engineering the fleet better or taking advantage of the J.B. Hunt Digital Freight Matching Platform, J.B. Hunt 360.
1: So when you talk about obviously paying a premium, that ultimately your customers have to decide whether they're going to absorb that cost or if their ultimate customer would accept that cost. And I guess the question comes down maybe to each and every one of us, right? If we were online and about to buy something from Amazon or at our favorite retailer, would we all be willing to pay 5% more or 10% more for a product knowing that the product had a lower carbon footprint? And ultimately, it's it's maybe up to us as consumers to send that signal to the businesses that we deal with that maybe we are willing to pay a little bit more to have a lower carbon footprint in those products.
0: Yes, we're all going to have to answer that question individually as uh, time continues to move on, unless the technology continues to evolve at a faster rate, because I do believe at some point the alternative technologies are going to be commercially viable but right now you see the cost of an electric vehicle uh, literally three times that of a diesel vehicle then you look at the restricted range and the weight so you would have to have several vehicles to perform the same amount of work that a diesel vehicle can perform so that that's not very sustainable you have a diesel truck a lot of trucks have two 100 gallon tanks on there and get over seven miles to a gallon, but just use seven. So you're at 1,400 mile range. We don't need 1,400 mile range, but we do need more than you know 150 or 180. And so there's a lot of limitations there because what you don't want to have happen is have this vehicle that you're excited about, get in there to operate that vehicle and you go make a delivery and there's another load close by but it goes 20 miles further on the other side of your return destination, but you can't take it because you don't have the amount of energy on board that you need to get back home. Because EVs are unlike diesel vehicles in that there's not charging on virtually every major intersection. No one can run and rescue you if you do run out of fuel or energy with a 10 gallon can of diesel fuel and get you 70 more miles. So that's where the range is is such an important issue. And then also the weight, you know, there's a severe weight penalty right now when you try to get the range that people would like to have. So it's a balance. Yes, there's freight that can move. Yes, there are locations where it could work. But when you start restricting the movement, all of a sudden you see you're going to have to have more trucks do the same amount of work. It drives up the cost, and also drives up the whole carbon footprint. If you're having to manufacture three trucks to do the work of two trucks, then you know that does not make any sense.
1: And to be clear for our audience, when you talked about a weight problem with batteries, it, it's a zero-sum gain. The truck can only have a certain amount of max weight, and if more of that weight is taken up at let's say, batteries... There's less freight that can be moved. And so now to your point, you need two trucks maybe to move what a single truck could have done before because the batteries take up so much of the the load
2: capacity. Exactly. So, Craig, you talked about ways in which you're able to respond to those customer needs in terms of offering a lower carbon solution for your customers, but I might guess there may be some unique circumstances where for a particular project, getting the reductions they need isn't enough. Are there other things that you can do to help meet those expectations of your customers?
0: Absolutely. You know, we've really seen this in the, the space of intermodal where the customers get very excited about reducing the carbon footprint by converting that over-the-road load to intermodal and reducing the carbon footprint by 60%. Because that's what we all want to do, is focus first and foremost on how to reduce or eliminate that carbon footprint. So that needs to be the first objective. But you still have residual carbon. So what can you do with the residual carbon? And that's where we have come out with a product, Clean Transport where we will make available to customers a wide variety of carbon offset programs that they can participate in. And a carbon offset program allows a company to invest with another company that has a method to literally reduce carbon, eliminate the carbon, sequester the carbon. There's a lot of different programs, such as forestry projects, such as carbon capture, that a customer could participate in and match a carbon offset against the residual carbon that remains on that load, even after they've converted it from truck to intermodal and make that load or that lane or that amount of freight carbon neutral. So we see a lot of interest in
2: this space. Very good. Thanks, Craig. Excellent.
1: I also want to circle back to something we talked about a little earlier, Craig. You had used the term residual and then we'd also talked about a little bit about the mismatch in the case of this particular customer of kind of vehicle life and how long they were going to have to sign this electricity agreement for. So it also sounds like that one of the elements that you and your teams in the industry are, are looking at is, you know, when you buy a vehicle, how long does the vehicle stay in service for? What happens to the vehicle at the end of that lifespan? Maybe a J.B. Hunt is done with it, but the truck still has many years of useful life. And what are the implications around some of the side agreements that have to be made, let's say for electricity or fuel, and maybe there's a mismatch between some of those elements that is disrupting maybe the adoption of some of these technologies.
0: Yeah, you know, it's always very tricky to roll out new technology when you know that it's improving. When you see the electric vehicles today, and I talk about the range, the stated range up to 250 miles, We all know that if you purchase that truck today in 18 months, 24 months, some short period of time, it's going to be outdated. It reminds me when we were, you know, going through flat screen TVs being adopted. You know, we saw them coming out at $20,000. They went down to $10,000. Most of us still didn't buy one, you know, got down to 2,500, probably didn't jump in at 1,800. You maybe jumped in at 1,200, I think I did and now you can buy the same TV or same size TV, it's actually better for $600. And go try to sell somebody that television that you paid $2400 and see how much you can get. Well, with the electric vehicles, as we know that technology is evolving and thank goodness that it is, and I believe it will continue to evolve and we'll get more range and it will be lighter and it will come down in cost. So when can you jump in First off, when's it available, because we all know they're uh, very hard to get right now. And then when you can get them, how many are you going to buy when you know whatever you buy is going to be outdated in short order? And what we'd like to do is get our hands on some of the vehicles and test the vehicles, see how they run, show them off to our customers, to the public, uh, prove to ourselves about what really happens, you know, with that weight, the range, and also the life of that vehicle and the maintenance you would think and believe, and we want to believe that the maintenance is going to be much less. you know when you have ninety percent fewer moving parts, it would go without saying that your maintenance cost ought to be a lot less. but we would like that to to prove out and see that firsthand and and see the issues we have with the charging infrastructure because when going back to when natural gas was rolled out and we were getting excited about that when diesel prices soared up to $4.74 a gallon before. you know, Now that kind of sounds cheap in some areas. But anyway, at four seventy-four, we were getting excited about it. But then we, we found out about where, where you could uh, refuel those vehicles. And um, you, you found out that many times people would talk about these fuel stations, but they were not large enough to handle a large truck. Well, the same thing here just because there's going to be ev charging out there is it charging that can repower a large truck and how long is it going to take to repower that large truck because as all of us travel and go on family vacations and you you can see that the cars coming in and out of the service station you watch the trucks go in and out of, of a truck stop they can fuel and be in and out of there and they can fuel about 15 minutes so say the whole thing takes them 20, 30 minutes to get in and out, but that's much different than having to charge, slow charge overnight for 10 to 12 hours, or if you do go with a rapid charge, which is what people are talking about and making that available, then the amount of power that that takes to charge that truck in a 30-minute time frame, an hour time frame, is significant. So we all have a lot to learn in this space, and that's why we need to get out there and and test it and see how it operates and share those findings and continue to improve on them. Because, again, I know it will improve. Same thing, you know, you go back to, you know, the cell phone. I remember when they came out and we had that phone look like, I'm not trying to talk bad about anyone, but that phone looked like a brick. And, you know, you had 30 minutes talk time, and I looked it up. I paid $3,300 back in 1983 in a Honda Accord at that time, so for 11000 Oh, and it had 30 minutes talk time, and you sure hope you weren't in a roaming situation and paid through the roof on charging airtime. So it evolved, though. Now we all carry virtually a small computer, a very powerful, but small computer in our pocket. So this technology will change. That's where no one needs to be with the time frame that it's taking, because I, I'm one of those. I get there, I go, dang, I've been talking about electric vehicles a lot since 2016, okay? And now, you know, we're starting to see some that are gonna have delivery dates later this year that we'll get our hands on, but it's still been very slow coming, and obviously the infrastructure we talked about is a big problem.
1: So Craig, when you think about the long distance trucking scenario, you talked about today a truck would come in to the truck stop, spend 15 to 30 minutes filling up, fill up those tanks and be on the road again. What are the truck stops thinking about in terms of this new model when they could be having not diesel powered trucks coming in, but hydrogen or electric powered vehicles coming in? Is that part of your industry starting to think about how they'll evolve with infrastructure?
0: Well, I think that'd be a better question for them, but Certainly, you know, they're not sitting back. They're watching this industry. But we all know whether we would like to admit it or not, there are going to be diesel-burning engines for some time. Now, we all read about the automotive industry when they're working to get off internal combustion engines in the same way with the truck manufacturers. But it is going to take time, and you're going to see it continue to evolve from the automotive side to the package delivery side to what we call class six trucks, uh, much like the delivery vehicle that goes in your neighborhood and delivering washer and dryers and large pieces of furniture like we use in our final mile. And then it will eventually get to the class eight trucks. But first it's going to start, which are the large trucks that people see on the road. But you're going to see a lot of that first come about again with those uh, local delivery trucks doing the, the big and bulky furniture deliveries and then the day cabs we call it where the, the driver does not sleep in the truck where you don't have to have that larger cab making those local and regional deliveries so that's where it will morph into next so there's still some time before it gets into the, the sleeper cab industry and what's going to happen to the battery technology by then, because we all see it continue to evolve like we talked about earlier And the general consensus, I believe right now, is that the two could coexist. Now, I will also say that this is a very divisive subject. If you get in a room with the one side of the table, it could be all battery electric, and they can make the point that it's going to continue to develop and that their technology will come along as fast as what you will see hydrogen infrastructure come along. Now, hydrogen folks will say there's no way that hydrogen is the the best avenue to go for long length of haul needed for heavy-duty trucks out on the the roadways. So I think the answer is, right now, is we need to be experimenting with both of those and continue to invest in this new technology as as a country to see which one does win out or if there is a place for both technologies. But I don't think... just like the whole power grid altogether. I don't think we can shut our eyes and, and not listen to any and all potential solutions to this, whether you know on the energy side, wind, solar, and we, we know some people don't like to talk about it, but you know your company does a very good job with it. On the, the nuclear side, we need to continue to look at that because we all know that is very clean and we need to educate people about how safe that technology can be. But again, the point is keeping an open mind to all these technologies and continue to test these technologies and find solutions. And in the interim, again, we don't need to just hope and wish there needs to be more investment going into that area. And then also we need to use the tools we have today because it's like, you know, one of your kids talking about, oh, well, uh, I'm not going to take good care of this used car, but if you get me a new car, I'll take great care of it. No, let's take care of what we have today. And we do have, again, Intermodal and J.B. Hunt 360 and also a whole engineering staff that can look at the freight and drive efficiencies
2: in that, and we need to do that. So, Craig, as the Chief Sustainability Officer, what gives you the most sense of confidence that we're headed on the right path, we're going to make change fast enough, and what excites you about maybe the technology change that you see coming down the road? Uh, I'm, I'm an optimist,
0: you know, and uh, I think that's just the way that I am. And also, I know our company is as a whole. You know, Mr. Hunt, it goes back. If you watch the interviews about him, he, he says he was a dreamer. And that's what he was. And always looking for new ideas and new methods. And I remember when I came here back in 1992 and he was rolling out intermodal and people said, ah, that's crazy. Those containers are gonna break in half when you lift them up. But he kept pushing forward through that. I remember when we brought in dedicated. Ah, oh, that's going to cannibalize your over the road trucking fleet. I remember when we brought in our brokerage unit and then we opened up all this technology that we had devised to run our trucks more efficiently and we made that open to the masses. And now over 900,000 trucks can access that same technology. I believe that people inside this building and the, the 33,000 plus employees of J.B. Hunt understand that we've got a challenge before us and I know they will step up and meet that challenge I can't tell you exactly how but uh, there's a lot of smart people working on it uh, here and, and across the US and I know there are other great companies out there too but I'm very optimistic that we'll be in the mix can't tell you exactly what the best answer is going to be but we're going to be there because we're going to continue to listen to our customers listen to their issues they have and come up with solutions for them. Excellent.
1: Craig, it's been an absolute pleasure. I learned, uh, no pun intended, but learned a ton during our conversation today.
0: Well, it's always fun to talk about it. We're right here. We're going to get to see a lot of change in this industry, and we know we all need that change. So I'm excited to be a part of it, and very
2: thankful for you taking the time to visit with me today. Great. And Craig, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what JB Hunt is doing to help lead in this uh, uh, energy transition. And uh, appreciate your time today. Thank you.
1: For Brian and the entire Cutting Carbon podcast team, this is Jeff Goldmere. Thanks for listening. This is Cutting Carbon.